In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I would first like to thank Andrew for inviting me to come here today and preach at this installation. Uh, When I think back about his seminary days and uh, our ministry together over the years, it's a great blessing to be uh, given this privilege. And I would like to thank Bishop Sloan for giving me permission to come to Alabama uh, and preach. I'm deeply grateful uh, to be here. You might imagine that over the last 24 years as bishop, I've been involved in a lot of installations and had the opportunity to preach at a number of occasions. Uh, Because of that, I know very well the lections that are suggested in the prayer book. Uh, There's a lection from the Epistle to the Romans and Ephesians, two from the Gospel of John and one from the Gospel according to St. Luke. And they are wonderful lessons. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But to each of us is given, in Ephesians, the grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Or one phrase from the Gospel of John, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And the passage from the Gospel of Luke is the sending out of the 70 after the calling of the disciples. When the lections arrived, of course, they were not uh, from that list. But as I looked at those wonderful choices today, it was perfectly clear to me why we have them. uh, And that they are a statement, if you will, about the ministry and leadership here at the cathedral. Uh, and where Andrew, as dean of this cathedral, is headed in terms of the leadership of this parish. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. As I reflected about these passages, they were exactly what I expected uh, we would be having. They are wonderful as they point to the future ministry here in this parish as well as to its past ministry. Some of you may remember that uh, during the Christmas holidays uh, on the Internet, Alistair McGrath had an article uh, about Christmas. Uh, And in that article, he asked the question... Why would we remember the birth of Jesus? And then he said, what does it have to do with God? And he answered uh, that question by focusing and pointing to C.S. Lewis, who was troubled by the same questions in 1931, and who, after a period as an atheist, had recently returned to belief in God. And he said that he had returned to a belief in God because it made sense of the world and human experience, and it appealed to his reason uh, and imagination. But uh, Jesus did not fit into the scheme of things. Jesus seemed superfluous. What does that have to do with God? 
in 1931 in conversations with his Oxford colleague, J.R.R. Tolkien, in September, he began to realize that Christianity was not primarily a set of ideas about God and the world, a story. It was a grand narrative about an event that captured the imagination, a true and trustworthy story, and that story focused on Jesus of Nazareth. The birth of Jesus of Nazareth was about God entering into the world in order to redeem it. And redemption pointed way back, as you heard in this gospel passage from the gospel according to St. John, to the very beginning, and the beginning was the word, and it pointed right to the beginnings uh, in Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, when you look at the creation narratives, it indicated that God had overcome the dark primal waters in order to create the world in the first place. The Jewish writers saw the sea as evil. And so in that imagery, it points, if you will, to what we would call natural evil, floods, earthquakes, the distortions in nature. And then the book of Genesis moves on to to Adam and Eve. Uh, And in that wonderful narrative, uh, we see what we call the dominion of sin. And I love to describe the dominion of sin as the presidency of the ego. When the ego is present, there is no room for relationship with God or with anyone else. And as you read the Old Testament narratives from Adam and Eve, you see the tragic story of the Jewish people and their kings and David and all the things that they endured, the captivity in Babylon and up to the time of Jesus, the Roman occupation. And so when we begin to look at this story of Jesus, what we see is the healing of creation. And that healing of creation will be an action of God and Jesus Christ getting down into the depths, if you will, of this broken world and taking evil's weight onto himself and exhausting its power. In his imagery with C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis had taken diving lessons. I can't imagine that, but at any rate it said that he took diving lessons. And he was invited to preach in a parish church Uh, in London during the Second World War. Uh, And in that sermon, he likened the incarnation to a diver jumping into very deep water to receive a precious object swirling around in the muck at the bottom and with lungs bursting coming to the top with that precious object coming to the surface, what we would call renewed human nature. When the early gospel writers wrote about Jesus, this is the story that they believed that they were telling and were talking about. This is what was behind that story of the incarnation. They did not see Jesus simply as a teacher or as a moral example or someone to save them from the Romans. The story of Jesus converged around the dark forces of chaos. Think about the birth narratives and the wise men and Herod asking them to come back and tell him where the Christ child was and because they did not, the murder of the holy innocents. 
And so you see the beauty and the wonder of the Christ child and the darkness of the world in which he came to transform and to redeem with God's love and grace. And so the death of Jesus Christ uh, in the scripture would be an analogy to uh, Jonah and the whale. Death uh, swallowed him up. And in swallowing up God, that by death, God took to himself the full brokenness and evil of the world. The word that I think we need to keep in mind when we think about what C.S. Lewis discovered is the word relationship. C.S. Lewis began to realize that he was in charge of ideas, but relationships require risk, self-emptying, humility, and you can't control them. When they are controlled, they become dysfunctional. And so this whole understanding began to emerge so that C.S. Lewis began to see the work of Jesus Christ as the redemptive work of God's love and grace in the world, inviting him and us into a relationship with him. We were part of the problem and part of the solution. Relationship and ideas or relationship and information. I had a wonderful experience not too long ago when I went to preach at the North American Lutheran Synod in Minneapolis and I was sitting on the plane and this very attractive young man came and sat down beside me in my black suit and purple shirt and he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Minneapolis to preach to the Lutherans. (laughs) And he said, I was raised a Lutheran but I don't go to church anymore. And then in a minute he said, but I believe in God. And I said, so what? (laughs) I said, you know, it's not long till Christmas. What if you sent your mother a Christmas card and said, dear mother, Merry Christmas, I believe you exist. That's what many Christians do with the gospel. They vote for God, and it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. God died for us, and that changes all of life. And so here we see that contrast between what we would call information, which lets us sit in the seat of being president because we can control information. But when we're in relationship with God, life is transformed and different. I have an opportunity every once in a while to go back to Washington, D.C., because I have oversight uh, because of the Bishop of Washington of two parishes in the Diocese of Washington. And when I was rector of All Saints Church, Chevy Chase, I used to go down to Starbucks in the evening occasionally in my nice black suit and purple shirt again and sit down and talk to the students at American University. And I got to know a number of students there and we would have coffee in the evening and one day I said why don't you all come up to All Saints Church we have four services on Sunday we'd love to see you and one of the students said to me oh bishop he said you know that Christianity is yesterday he said we don't believe in sin we believe in love and I said you mean to tell me you live in Washington DC and don't believe in sin <laughs> And I said, then where do you where do you think love comes from? And of course, he didn't know exactly. He just sort of had it. 
And I said, you know, my son and daughter-in-law have two little girls. And one of the things that I pray about regularly is that the love they have for those children would go from them into them. Uh, And the degree to which that precious gift is given has so much to do with what we would call the wholeness of life. Love comes from the outside. It does not come from the inside. And the love of God in Jesus Christ comes from the outside to the inside. And it invites us into relationship with him. And that's one of the things that C.S. Lewis began to see. It wasn't just ideas. It was God's action on our behalf, uh, emptying himself. When I was a young priest and my grandmother was failing, you know, you live with people all the time and you don't know things that you need to know. And so I went down and spent a day uh, with her. And uh, here this lovely lady told me many things that, uh, that I did not know. Uh, she was, uh, her parents were German. She was born in Natchez. Uh, Mississippi. She married a, a man, Thomas Moore Salmon, from Lexington, Georgia, and they had two children, a little boy, my father, and a little girl, Josephine. They'd been married a few years, and then Josephine died of pneumonia. Uh, her husband died some months later, and her father died some months later. And not only that, but there were people who took uh, advantage of her. Uh, and my grandmother told me about the spiritual journey in dealing with that. Uh, and she, of course, was blessedly a wonderful member of Trinity Church. And Jesus Christ was a, a focus in her life. Uh, and she told me that um, she would go to Holy Communion every Sunday morning, go back for morning prayer. Because in those days, Holy Communion, 730, morning prayer uh, at 11. And the prayer that she loved the most that helped her with that is the prayer that I love because she taught that for me, and it's in the prayer book. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercy. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that he may evermore dwell in us, and we in him. The story of her relationship with Jesus Christ was that he did dwell in her heart, and in that relationship the darkness of life was consumed. That's the story of the gospel. Quickly, I was reminded when Nelson Mandela died and Archbishop Tutu finally appeared at the last, at his funeral, because he is not in good standing, I understand, with the South uh, African government. One of the things that we saw at the hands of those two remarkable people was the Reconciliation Commission, where people who had murdered others admitted that in the presence of their relatives and were forgiven. There is the grace and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ absorbing the darkness of the world. It's into that relationship uh, that we are invited. When I think of the passage here that Andrew has chosen to be read today, I think it is because that is the deliberate message 
that needs to be delivered. He's telling us from what is said in this passage, I believe that my wisdom is God's wisdom given through Jesus Christ. My righteousness is one of divine acquittal, not of moral virtue. I'm justified through Jesus Christ. You remember that wonderful phrase from the Old Testament, Abram believed God and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Consecration, his holiness uh, from that Greek word used in the scripture means being in nearness to God. And it's a holiness not by his work, but by God's work through Jesus Christ. His redemption, which is a word from the slave market, is a redemption that is bought by God for a price and his sins are forgiven. I undertake this passage read this morning to mean that this is the message upon which the ministry of the dean of this cathedral will rest uh, in the future. My prayer is that you as members of this cathedral will pray for him and for his family and you will keep that sentence from the epistle to the Corinthians emblazoned in your hearts. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen.